Praise the Lord. All right. Well, we are in. How many of you enjoyed the snow today on your vehicle? A couple of you did. Okay. There are a few people. So it, it matters not what is happening in the weather at DeMarkey's Espresso. When the customers come in, if it's sunny, it's too sunny. If it's raining, it's too rainy. If it's cold, it's too cold. If it's hot, it's too hot. Nobody is ever, ever satisfied with the weather when they come through the drive-thru. It's the most given complaint I hear from her is them complaining about the weather. And we know during winter is probably when we get some of the most complaints about winter, right? It's a, it can be a difficult season. In fact, in, in Song of Solomon, one of my favorite verses has been in, in chapter 2. My beloved spoke and said to me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away, for lo, the winter is past. And I always give a big hallelujah. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come. And the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. Now, lately, our birds have been a little confused. <laughs> she was out at the park hiking on that 68, I think, when it was almost 70 degrees, and things were starting to grow, and the birds were going crazy. Everybody's a little confused by our weather. Why? Because there are things appropriated to a season for that season, right? And so right now... In fact, gardeners that will mulch their gardens, they do it actually to keep the ground cold. So that when we have warm days like we've had, things don't get confused and starts. I do not want my garlic sprouting right now. If it begins to sprout and then we get harsh temperatures again, my garlic is done for for the year. I want it to stay cold in the ground. So there are things appropriated to seasons for that season. And so when we are in the winter season, we typically don't enjoy the season. <laughs> are you sure, Kathy? <laughs> She's ready to go down south and find a beach. <laughs> Here's what can happen in a winter season. We can begin to really misjudge what is taking place. If you were to look out upon the fields today, it would look like everything is dead. It looks like the trees are dead, right? And so to look with our natural eyes without an understanding of what is happening in the wintertime, we could say, what is wrong with this place? Nothing grows here. It can be very deceiving, the seasons, if you just look at it with your natural eye. Many of you have heard me talk about my olive tree. Anybody remember me talking about the olive tree? This is my olive tree. Alexandra bought this for me years ago. And from a distance, it doesn't look too bad right now, does it? If you were to get up close, it would be kind of sad. And if you brush against it, many of these leaves will fall off. So I discovered something with this olive tree. It had died off once, not long after I had it. I thought, oh man, I didn't manage to keep it alive. And so it was winter time, and so I had stuck it out on my back porch. 
to deal with later. Well, that stayed there for months. <laughs> Being ignored, I kind of forgot it was out there. And so one day I was walking by it and I happened to glance down and there was stuff growing on it. I was in complete shock and excitement. Oh, it's not dead. It's still alive. I was about, thank goodness I had forgotten about it or it would have been in the garbage heap. But because I forgot about it, I managed to salvage it and I brought it in and it did beautifully. Ah, what you look at with your eyes, how you view things is so important. Discernment. So it did well, it did well. Last year, I noticed all of the leaves fell off. And so I thought, oh man, I've killed it. I do tend to have seasons when I get busy that I, you know, don't water like I should. And so I really thought I had killed it. But again, you know, just as I hadn't been on the water, I was not on top of taking care of it, and it stayed there. And pretty soon, I noticed leaves coming back on it again. I was, and I thought, maybe I should research this. And so now, this year, and it obviously grew back well, and so this year, when I brought it inside again, I noticed it beginning to do this. Well, now I'm on my third cycle of this, and so now I don't fear death, right? I know this is in a cycle that it goes through, and its leaves are going to drop, and it's going to look dead and barren, but it's alive. And the winter season can be very deceiving in this way. If you are looking at life with natural eyes, what can appear dead is actually still alive. It's dormant. But we don't like this time right here. It doesn't look appealing. It doesn't look great sitting in my living room, but it sits there waiting in expectancy for life. And so in, in, the, in the book of John, when, he, John is, when we're talking about the place of abiding in Christ, right, it talks about being fruitful in John 15. It says, abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And so the whole thing becomes this part of fruitfulness in life. And God wants us to be fruitful, doesn't he? He, he talks often about being fruitful in life. And so this is where when we enter in spiritually, in our lives to a winter season, it can get confusing if we don't understand what's happening. We often can look at that time of life. It feels like everything around you is dead and dying. It feels like your marriage is struggling. It feels like your children are struggling. It feels like your finances, your health. It seems that every time you turn around, you do not see any fruitfulness. And you can know mentally, yeah, that's winter season, but it, can, it really feels like death. It really feels like there's something wrong. And, and so often we can, we can look at that and think, well, the enemy's coming against us, which can be true. When, when we decided to plant a church last year, 
Darren and I had heard this time and again from church planters. We underestimated the attack of the enemy. Every one of them. We underestimated. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now we're saying we underestimated the attack of the enemy. And so I can look at that and I can recognize Okay, this season, it is not just a winter season. The enemy is coming against us. You can look at a season of winter and think you're doing something wrong. What am I doing wrong? I need to do better. Or where is there sin in my life? And and there is a place for that as well. And then there's the winter season where things are barren and dormant. And so this is why... We walk with Holy Spirit because Holy Spirit knows and is usually the one at work, and he gives discernment to us to know how to handle the season that you're in. Is this an assignment of the enemy? Is this that I am not aligning myself with the word of God, and so things are out of order in my life? Or is this a winter dormant season? Holy Spirit knows and gives you the discernment to know how to handle the season that you're in. And so right now we're going to be talking though when it is a winter season how we walk in the winter season. You can come into the winter season with a bad attitude like my husband does. I told the Petersburg Church last week, I said, I'm having a little bit of fun. For years and years and years, I was back in children's church, and he was free to say whatever he wanted in here that I knew not of. <laughs> so we may have a little payback. I think we had a discussion last week about, okay, what have you been saying about me, and what have you been saying about me? Darren does not like the winter season. He wants it 110 degrees and humid, like her. And, and so he often will come in, to, once the, the bite starts to hit of winter, he starts, can get a bad attitude. Last year, he came into the winter season, though, and said, I've determined this is going to be a good season. I've determined that I'm going to do winter well, and I'm going to have a good attitude. And it was a wonderful winter. This year came along, I said, um, what happened to this? I'm going to, you know, winter's going to be great. Oh, I haven't, I haven't done that yet. I haven't made that decision yet. <laughs> well, for our sake, could you make the decision? <laughs> and so how we embrace the winter season is, is very significant. And I think if we have an understanding of what's happening, it will greatly help you to embrace the winter season. Physically, it's a dark time. There's little sun, it's dark, it's cold, the ground is hard, everything is barren. And so our, in ourselves, we, well, we don't like that. We like it when it's warm and green and flourishing and beautiful flowers. And so we can get very focused on the growing season and try to just get through the winter and ignore it. When the truth is, is that... The winter season is actually a beautiful time and can accomplish great things in your life and has a healthy balance. And so the winter, we're going to be looking at three things that the winter season is for. And so the first one is that really winter is a time, just to be truthful, of barrenness and hardship. 
It just really is. It's a time of barrenness and hardship. And I think it's interesting that in the book of Job, there's more reference to snow than any other place in the Bible. And he had the hardest time, didn't he? He came out with great blessing on the other side and fruitfulness on the other side. But he went through that season. It is a season where things are just more difficult. I can't just throw my flip-flops on and run out to the store. I have to put everything on. I have to defrost my car. You know, you have to do all of this. You have to shovel your way out. Everything is more difficult in the winter season. Hence our lack of desire for the winter season. And, and the truth is in Philippians chapter 3, and here comes the beauty. Now, see, she, Alexandra does not like it when I talk this way about winter. In fact, as soon as she got into the car last week after Petersburg, she said, I really enjoyed the drive over. It was beautiful. <laughs> yes, we, found, we find the beauty in the hardship and the barrenness. When I went into the shop at 6 a.m. a couple mornings ago, I was in awe of the beauty of the moon. It was so bright and full at 6 a.m. when it was setting. And so there's this beauty in the hardship, and it really comes out of Philippians chapter 3. And this is my hope for you to find today through the message, that I may know him, Jesus, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. This is the beauty of the hard places, the barren, dark places. It's the suffering of Christ, the fellowship of the suffering of Christ. You know that every person that you have walked through in places of suffering are the people you are most intimate with than any other person. Suffering with one another breeds intimacy. And so with Jesus, we love the victory. We love to preach the victory. We love to preach the breakthrough. It's our favorite things to hear. But there's a place of suffering that if we will embrace, we find the beauty of fellowship with Jesus that is not found in any other place. The fellowship of suffering of Christ. You will come out of the place of suffering knowing him. And when I say knowing, I don't mean knowing about him. I'm saying knowing him. Like you will not find in any other season of life in the place of suffering. And so you can resist the winter time, or you can embrace it and find the beauty of relationship with him in it, of what he's doing in it. And so my heart today is that you, when you walk out of here today, that you would find that you don't quite resist the winter like you did, because you have an opportunity now to find Christ in a way that you haven't. And so wintertime is part of our rhythm, our natural rhythms, springtime, summertime, fall, and winter, right? It's a rhythm that we live in. 
It comes around every year, does it not? Every year it comes around. It's a rhythm that is a part. In Genesis 8, he says, while the earth remains, this is after the flood, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night shall not cease. There are rhythms in nature. And there are rhythms, just as there are physically, there are rhythms spiritually. And so, yes, this is the physical realm, but it happens in the spiritual realm as well. And these rhythms are so important because they keep this balance in the natural and in the spiritual. Rhythms keep a balance. There's stress and there's recovery, right? I am currently today in the place of recovery. Now, I do not make New Year's resolutions, and I have not made one this year. However, I start school tomorrow, and I know what it did to me last semester. And I'm like, I'm already feeling stress. I need to deal with the stress. And for me, Pilates is a way to deal with stress. So I've engaged in three days of it this week. And let me say, I'm in recovery. I had to have Darren pull me up off the couch the other day because I could not move. <laughs> what is this? This is a rhythm. There's stress and there's recovery. Our muscles go through that when we work them. Plants go through that. The stress that we put on them can produce a sweeter end, right? Our grapes this year are going to get it. We missed a year, and it is time. This, and it happens during the winter in February next month. We will hack that beautiful big vine all the way to the ground. It's gone. It's so sad on that day. But it, and I have this, I mean, the vine is like taking over my garden even. It is so big. It's going down to the ground. Why? It needs the stress, and it will produce a better harvest, a sweeter harvest. It's a rhythm. And some of these rhythms take place in the winter. You want a better harvest in your life? You want a sweeter harvest in your life? you got to embrace the winter season. We have periods of activity, and we have periods of rest, right? It's a rhythm. Activity, rest. If you constantly are in activity, you will be out of rhythm. If you're constantly in rest, you become a slug. And I detest them. They're nasty little creatures. <laughs> Rhythms also bring focus where there needs to be focus. Um, part of our, there's the, the, the physical rhythms we've been talking about, but in the sense of spiritual rhythms, this is why I love rhythms in the Christian world. I love Advent. I love Lent. I love these because they bring a focus time to me, and they come around yearly, and so I know every year I'm going to hit this, and it's going to bring a focus to keep me from getting out of focus. If I, I can live on Easter every day, victory, 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 
and I can get out of focus. I need to remember the cross and what he has saved me from, not just what my future is. It brings focus where focus needs. I'm very big on traditions in our family. And what do they, I rarely talk to my son, and I hope he's listening. I doubt he is, because he's at an Orthodox church today. <laughs> I rarely talk to Jeremy, but my daughter-in-law, we hear from daily. And so I have relationship now with my son through my daughter-in-law. Thank the Lord for my daughter-in-law. <laughs> right? However, come Christmas time, it is a big priority for my son to get days off and come home for Christmas because I built traditions, and it brings him back into focus of family. So rhythms and traditions do this for us. And so you, gotta, you can't just em embrace all the positive ones. You've got to embrace the ones that don't feel so good as well because they balance each other, right? And so it, it forces, rhythms force the issue. So, for instance, I can't really remember when I've had a day off. I have periods that I, like, I have set, Saturday mornings are now sacred to, like, 9 o'clock for me. And, and, and so I, have, I can't remember when I've had a real day off. And was it Thursday, Friday morning, we went to open the shop before Christmas. And that was that cold snap we had. And the pipes were frozen and had burst in many places. And so that forced the issue. The winter season forced me to take days off. Like, could we not have done it in a different way, Lord? It does take something drastic for me, though. <laughs> what does it do? Though? The winter season there, it forced the issue for me to find rest. Did I like it? No. But once it happened, I said, okay, I got to get everything out of this season that I can. It's forced me into this. I'm going to embrace it. And so the winter, these rhythms... They, they bring us into focus. They force the issue for us. And so we're going to embrace the winter as well. And so there is the place of drawing back. Winter is a time really of retreat. It can be hard for us to get people out at church in the evenings because, you know, 5 o'clock hits and it's dark and your body is saying, let's go to bed. There's a place of drawing. Winter is that time of drawing back. It's a time for aloneness. It's a time of, of, of being still and quiet. Everything quiets down and gets, there's no activity happening, right? This is the winter season. It's a time of pulling back and looking inward. We live outward, but winter forces this it's all about what's in the hidden places. The things that you can't see happening. It's about the inside places. So it forces you to pull back. Now, in the turning inward, there's this winter warning. Despite the drawing of inward and introspective and rest and, and looking deeper, it is not a season of selfishness and of not fulfilling the word. Oh, it's a winter time. I can hunker down, me and myself. 
It is not a season of selfishness. In fact, I love what William Cooper, an 18th century Boston minister, said about winter. Let us beware of the temptations of the season and not make the cold an unjust pretense to neglect any of our duties. The usual exercises of religion should still go on. The cold should not keep us from our closets, nor chill our devotions there. It should not keep us from the house of God. Next to the love of God, we should keep up a warm love to our neighbor. Therefore, the colder the season is, the warmer should our charity be. And so, in the embracing of the winter season, it is not a time of excuse to just get selfish and be about me. And we have to be careful with that. And again, it's why we've been given this Holy Spirit to say, hey, you have ceased to make this about you growing, and it's now become you being selfish. So winter is, first of all, a time of barrenness, a time of difficulty. But winter time is also a time of birthing vision. And this is where winter can get exciting, okay? Although it feels as though things have died, we know that, that, that there's, things are dormant, really, right? And so when I'm in the, spiritual, in, in, the, in the winter season, it feels like I'm not bearing fruit, and I'm experiencing death. And what, but when we embrace this time as a vision-casting time, and we begin to turn inward, we begin to hear, actually, what God is really speaking over your life. Because you have turned, taken the time to stop all the frantic activity and turn inward, you now can hear what God is speaking. It's a timing of examining your life to examining what you're giving yourself to. It's a place of seeming death where God strips away everything that has kept you from seeing God's purposes in your personal life, in your family, in your jobs, in your health, all the things that keep you from experiencing greater fruitfulness, he strips away. And it's a horrible feeling, especially if you're a personality that is out to conquer, and you're busy, and you're a doer. This is a very hard thing to embrace when he strips it all away. But in the stripping, in, in the takeaway, when he's taking away all of the distractions, there comes this now emptiness where vision, his vision for you, can be birthed. It was when the, the, the earth was covered in darkness and the Spirit of God hovered there that life came. It was in Mary's empty womb, dark and empty, that the Spirit of God hovered and the life of Christ was put there. And so as you embrace it, and as you allow the stripping away, 
He's not just trying to torture you and make you feel uncomfortable. He's trying to put something inside of you that is greater, that is his purpose. As I was studying for this, I came across a book written by a ranger, a park ranger, up in northern Minnesota. And he has a cabin. And so as a, it's seven months of the year, winter there. And so although Darren is in love with Minnesota, he would not, he has no desire to live there in the wintertime. So this ranger has a cabin. And seven months of the year, basically, he is unemployed as a ranger. There's nothing happening. And so he's in this cabin alone for seven months. In fact, he says winter is the crucible for the search of self. And so he gives testimony of one winter. And the snow was at 122 inches. This was about three feet more than what they usually experienced. So, I mean, still, you take away that amount. It's still a lot of inches of snow. But this was unusual. This was more than what even the animals were used to, 122 inches. It takes such work to just keep the cabin warm and, and to find water that you just consume, you can keep feeding yourself, but you go through the calories. Just to, it's work even just to feed yourself without losing all of your weight. There you go, ladies. <laughs> that year, death just came viciously. And he had a couple of deer that would, they, they were regular deer that would appear by his cabin that he had named. And they had, the, the deer had all, they had left. And so he had, hadn't seen these deer. Well, suddenly he was finding carcasses everywhere. I, I mean, like in an unheard of. It's like it had been just the wolves had come, and it was like they were just slaughtering the carcasses. And the whole time he's worried about these two deer that he had befriended. And so he really was struggling. Now, if you're a ranger, you love nature, right? You love God's creation. You love the animals, and so your heart is toward them. And so he was really, between all the normal struggles of the winter season, this constant slaughter was just too much for him mentally. He was having a very hard time with the death. And so there came the day when finally the wolves left the area and that hint of spring began to come. And one of the deer reappeared, unhurt. And there was something that happened to him in the moment of this, that return of spring. And although he was a ranger up there, for all of his life, there was a specific canoe trip he wanted to take that was a very long one. It was long to the degree that he couldn't just up and go because of job and responsibilities. There was always a reason why he could not take this trip. But there was something that happened to him in the death of that winter. And when that deer appeared, he said, it is time. The winter of all winters was ending, he says. 
It was time soon to get going. It was time to start packing. It was time to varnish paddles and prepare the canoe. The season of hardship and death had pushed him to say, no more, I'm doing this. This long-term purpose and vision for his life, that harshness of the winter season pushed him into doing it. And this is the place of the winter season. It forces the process of it in your life, brings you to the point of saying, I must fulfill that purpose that God has made for me. No more reasons not to do it. No more justification why I can't. I'm going to do this. God has put it inside of me. And winter does that. And so in the winter time, when you put everything aside and he's put his vision inside of you and he's put his purposes inside of you and you begin to embrace them and you say, I have to do this. I'm now compelled. It's time to go now. I've been hunkered down, but now it's time to go out, right? That's what winter does. And so with it, winter being the time of vision, it, then the third thing, it becomes winter is a time of preparation. You have the vision that's been put inside of you now, and, and now you have to align your life. How many of you have ever received like a prophetic word from somebody that operates as a prophet? Yes? And 20 years later, still, you don't see the fulfillment Can I just say to you that it's most likely not necessarily God not doing it, but have you aligned yourself to that word that was spoken over you? Often, we have to align ourselves. And so what you find in the winter season in our house, January becomes the season of preparation. I begin to prepare. I order my seeds. I have, a, I have the vision for the garden that I want, and I begin to order my seeds. I begin to go out, and I get the supplies I need to start my seeds. And I have a vision that I begin to prepare for. Now, I am kind of a late planter. Uh, in fact, Proverbs 20, verse 4, it says, The lazy man will not plow because of winter. He will beg during harvest and have nothing. Now, we know the depths of winter isn't really plow time, but the, that transition at the, end of, at the end of winter, there is that preparation taking place, right? And so I'm a late planner because I don't like the cold. I don't like being in the rain and the wetness, and so I'm not out preparing my garden like I should be. And suddenly I'm like, oh, all these people have planted. What have I been doing? And everything comes in late because of it. It's not time in the spring to begin to prepare for spring. It's not time during the harvest. The harvest is exhausting because you are bringing in the harvest. You are processing the harvest, and the harvest waits for no one. I can't say after I've harvested the grapes, oh, I'll wait a couple of months to the winter season. No, they become fermented then. that, that, that season has things appropriate to the season. And so the time of preparation is winter. And so I have, I've received the vision for my garden. Now that I've started school, my garden has changed. And I only, I'm, I'm, I'm like not planting 
to feed my whole family. I'm planting because it will provide me de-stressing opportunities. So I just plant some things I really like because that's the season I'm in. And that's the vision I have for it. And so I align my preparation to the vision. In January, preparation in our home looks like the great big, I mean big, I'm not exaggerating. It's like big book of maps to the boundary waters. Thank you, Alexandra. That was her gift to her father. I have this massive book that lies in the middle of my living room floor full of maps to the boundary waters. What are they doing? The one day Darren knows off the top of his head in his calendar. The staff used to joke with him about it. He can't remember any other date. But come January 25th at 9 a.m., you will have a short prayer meeting that morning because it opens up to reserve your spots in the boundary waters. And so now the talk has begun, and I must listen to endless conversations about camping and about entry points. I know, don't you feel my pain? It's the season of preparation. If he waits until May, the spots are gone. It's too late. You have to embrace the season's for what they are and engage in them or it's too late. And so the barren, dark, quiet of winter, both in the physical and the spiritual, it gives room for examination in your life, for vision in your life, to cut away things that are keeping you from doing the vision he's put in you. And so we come into this season of fasting and fasting is very much an activity of the winter season. It's a cutting away of things in our life, right? To focus in on the Lord. And it, in, in some of my favorite verses when I am fasting are two of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Fasting reveals your frailty and your weakness more than any other activity you will engage in. You can say, I'm going to quit watching TV for a week, or I'm going to cut out chocolate for a week, and that's not bad. It will not reveal your humanity like real fasting from food. And so when I begin to engage in fasting, I suddenly realize after one day how weak I am. And when he, the, one of the most powerful things about fasting is that revelation. Because how often can I go day after day after day without receiving from the bread of life, Jesus Christ, and think I'm okay, not realizing how weak I am spiritually because I'm not partaking of spiritual food. Fasting gives us that perspective when we see how quickly we lose our strength, how quickly that hunger begins to rage in us. It leads me then to the next beatitude of asking, how hungry and thirsty am I really spiritually? For blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They shall be filled. And as soon as I begin fasting, I begin to see what real hunger 
what real thirst feels like. And I begin to say, Jesus, have I been hungering after you this way? Is my thirst for you at this place? Fasting reveals this to us. And I know that last week Darren talked a lot about fasting, and so I don't want to reiterate that. You can go back and listen to that message. It was a wonderful message last week. I would encourage you to do so. But what I want to do for, as we begin to close is to take a, a quick look at Daniel chapter 10. One of the most powerful things about fasting is how it positions us spiritually. And in Daniel chapter 10, it says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long. And he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. So he had received this, but he had not, the appointed time for the fulfillment had not come. And so it says in verse 2, in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. This had led to that winter time. It says, I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Now on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked and behold a certain man clothed in linen whose waist was girded with gold of Euphes. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. It's how powerful this presence was. They could not see the presence, but they felt it. Therefore, I was left alone. So they fled, leaving Daniel with this presence. Therefore, I was left alone when I saw this great vision. And no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. And then suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O oh, Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. And then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. Can I say to you, do not judge the quick answers of your prayers. You, you pray a prayer to the God that hears you, and you don't see an answer, and you're quick to forego your prayer when God has heard all along. 
don't forego. Don't move away from that place of prayer. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. And so, first of all, what we see is that the fasting was happening during a time of spiritual warfare in the heavenly places. Daniel could not see that. He did not know what was happening the whole time he was in this time of withdrawal of food. However, in that place, while he is doing this, angels are in warfare, fighting to come and answer the fulfillment. When God calls you, now we're in a corporate fast, but when God calls you to fast, obedience is so important because we do not understand what is happening. We cannot always see the spiritual realm. And there's activity that you know not of. And so it's a place of warfare with your fasting. But what I want you to really see today are two words found in Daniel 10. The first one in verse 3, I ate no pleasant food. Do you know another word for that is desire? I ate no desirous food. And then the second time in verse 11, the angel comes and says to him in his greeting, O Daniel, man greatly beloved. Can I tell you that that word is the exact same word as that word used for pleasant? They are one and the same. And I love this passage because Daniel says, I am withholding, I'm withdrawing, I'm sacrificing desirable food. And in his sacrificing of desirable food, he becomes desirable to heaven. This is the power of fasting. It's your position with heaven. And when you let go of the desired food, you become desired by heaven. When God sees, I really mean this. I'm not just praying words. But I so desire you, God, that I withhold myself from things desirable of this earth. You, become, you attract the notice of God. You become desirable to him. Now, you should all look a little more excited about that. I want to be desired by heaven. I want heaven when, he, when God's eyes says, he says, my eyes are always roaming the earth, searching for those whose hearts are loyal to me. I want to be one when his eyes are roaming that they stop on me. Not because of my goodness, but because I've said, God, I want you so much that I let go of the things of this earth. And we live in a time not much different from Daniel. Babylon was a prosperous place. It was a well-to-do place. It was, they, they, besides economically, beauty, they were one of the most beautiful cities. Their advancements were great. They were anti-God, anti-worship expression. And here we have Daniel, this man, who time and time again was told he could not do this. He could not do this. Time and time again, he did it. 
He actually was one of the most influential men in the land. So you can say, well, I can't follow Jesus, and, well, I don't know. Daniel managed to become very influential while saying no to the culture of the place he was living in. And so his culture wasn't much different, anti-worship. And for Daniel, this was not just a one-time fast, but it was his lifestyle. How often was he told, you cannot worship except us. You cannot pray. And what does he do? I'm throwing open the doors of my, I'm not just going to go and hunker down somewhere. Before everybody, three times a day, I'm going to stand in front of this window and I'm going to pray to my God. You attract the notice of God when you do that. And so you can't just say, well, Daniel lived in an easy culture. It's easy for him to do this. No. His culture wasn't much different. And so doesn't that give you hope? If Daniel, in this culture, if he can do this, if he can maintain his heart towards God, a heart that is fully engaged with God's presence, so can we. And, and we have this warning, actually, from Jesus in Matthew 24. And more than anything else, I feel like fasting, if it will keep me in this place, I will engage in it. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. We have some of that in our culture, don't we? If you don't just love everybody and accept everybody, you are hated. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, which we have already begun to see lawlessness abounding, the love of many will grow cold. The love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. The time for fasting is now because lawlessness abounds. And if you say, well, I would never be one of those whose love grows cold, there is no qualifications here. It just says the love of many. And so there's this taking of precautions to ensure that I am not one of the many. And fasting will help you to keep your heart ablaze. Fasting will help you to have the things of this world that want to creep in upon you. Last week, Darren preached on the church that is alive, the Christian that is alive. I tell you that if you want to, in this culture of lawlessness, if you want to keep your heart from growing cold, your love from growing cold, then there are things that you must do to engage with God and keep it from going cold. And fasting is one of them. Fasting, it's like it recenters us. It's a rhythm that recenters us with Him and cuts off the things that might have. It's kind of like when you start to put something in the freezer, right? It's slowly the cold will creep in until suddenly it's rock solid. And the things of this world can creep in 
and cause your heart to begin to grow cold. And suddenly you find yourself in a place you never thought you would be. Fasting. Fasting and saying, I'm not withdrawing just from the pleasurable foods, but the pleasures of this world that have satisfied me ushers you into the pleasure of heaven. And when the pleasure of heaven is over your life, I mean, look at Daniel. You can't tell me that as heaven visited Daniel that his heart was cold. There was not going to be any coldness in that moment. He was trembling under the power of heaven. And so I'm going to ask if the worship team would come. We love the place of Song of Solomon too. The winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come. It will come. That's the promise. It will come. But don't just try to survive your winter time. Engage with it. Engage with it. And every time you choose to engage in a positive way with it, God does things that when you come out of the winter season, wow, wow, God. He doesn't feel it in the winter, and you don't always feel it in the fasting. Fasting can feel like one of the most unspiritual moments of your life. All you feel is hunger, all you feel is pain, all you feel is detoxification. You might have moments of wonders with the Lord, but usually the, the time of fasting isn't always a spiritual feeling that we have. But when we continue in it, what did it say in Daniel? It said, it is a period of mourning he was in. His fasting was associated with mourning. And so when you embrace that, there will come the moment when the heavenly outpour will happen. There came the moment when this angelic being. But we say it often around here, there are no shortcuts in God's kingdom. You can't just have the spring, the summer, and the, and the fall and say, I'd like to forego winter. We must embrace it all and embrace it with joy, for we rejoice in all things, don't we? We rejoice in all things. And so this week of prayer and fasting is a week of consecration to the Lord. It's a week of saying, God, here I am. I run after a lot of things. I give myself to a lot of things. But this week, I'm yours. This week is about, I'm so excited to not be cooking this week. So see, you, you find in the winter the good, the, the positive, that helps you endure the hardship. And so we're going to just take a moment here and sing through this song again. And can we just stand for a few moments before the Lord and just give him these next seven days. All of your stuff will be there when you get through the seven days. All of your food will be there. You can watch reruns all you want on TV. It's not like in the day when you miss an episode, it's forever gone. 
It will all be there at the end of the seven days. But for this week, we're saying, Jesus, we sit at your feet and we pour our love upon you. We enter into the spirit of Daniel that is saying we are withholding from the things that are pleasant that we might become pleasant to you. And so, Jesus, here we are. In these moments of worship, I ask, Holy Spirit, that even now you would begin to speak to your people what you long to do this week in and through them, what you want to speak to them this week, what you want to do. Places where we have withheld from you, we now open them up to you and say, come and have your way. 